I'm Chris Freeback. This is a special live Zoom edition of Chris Freeback's Conversations. This event was sponsored by the Cornell Institute of Politics and Global Affairs, the first in a new series of political book conversations we're doing. And I was thrilled to launch it with Jonathan Carl as our guest. A word about Cornell's IOPGA. It's a nonpartisan institute focused on raising the discourse and deepening the understanding of volatile political and global events. The institute hosts world-class programs in New York City, Ithaca, Washington, and internationally, with leaders from the U.S. and abroad. These programs provide opportunities for enriched understanding of political content in our contemporary societies. And now about Jonathan Carl. You surely know. He's ABC News Chief White House Correspondent. John's also president of the White House Correspondents Association and author of the new New York Times bestseller, Front Row at the Trump Show. It was an excellent conversation, and we discussed exactly what we all want to know. What does it mean for democracy when the president attacks the free press as fake news? How should journalists like John balance the need to avoid becoming the opposition party, as Steve Bannon described them, while also standing up when individual reporters, frequently women, frequently minorities, are publicly ridiculed and even threatened? As John writes, quote, our democracy is built on trust. That's why I fear President Trump's war on truth may do lasting damage to American democracy, end quote. Two notes before we begin. First, I've launched a new daily newsletter, which, in a fit of creativity, I've called Chris Reback's Newsletter. It delivers a curated summary of the news and ideas you need to know. It also offers a new podcast feature available only to subscribers, something I'm calling Six Minutes or Less. My questions to an expert who educates, enlightens, and explains an important issue gets us smart via audio in, as you guessed, Six Minutes or Less. Sign up at chrisreback.com. Secondly, as always, if you like this podcast, please give it the five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Okay, that's it. Here's my live Zoom event with Jonathan Carl. Welcome, everybody. I am Chris Reback, and this is the first Chris Reback's Conversations webinar. Our thanks to John for joining. John, you can't hear it, but I can that is thunderous applause. That's incredible. Excellent, yeah. excellent. Thank you for joining. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This is great. I, I, I feel like you know the one of the real bummers about this situation that we're in. Uh, it's it's not as significant as all <laughs> everything else we're dealing with. Is I've been unable to get out there and do uh, to do a book tour. So the idea of being able to virtually uh, making it up to Ithaca, Ithaca is is awesome. How much got canceled? And while yes, on the one hand. Uh, I'm sure you are bummed and not to be able to go out and you meet people and you get to take all the questions. But was it Ross Duthit, I think, who had a book come out just as this was starting? I think he believes, if I heard him on one of the podcasts, I think he believes he might have gotten coronavirus from that trip. He doesn't have it con confirmed. Yeah. So on the one hand, no book tour. But on the other hand, you know, you look great. You look healthy. Yeah, I, I, I had a whole bunch of events planned. I really love getting out and talking to people uh, about the book. This is a project that I I put kind of heart and soul into, uh, yeah. spent dedicated most of last year. I mean, I, I kept doing my day job, but all I cared about was you know, professionally was writing this book. And, and I was so looking forward to getting out and meeting people and talking to people about it. 
but the virtual events have been great. So thank you for Chris for for pulling this one together. No problem. In addition to all of the thank yous we just went through, I feel like we also should thank Michael Jackson. I mean, maybe <laughs> I didn't take away the exact point you were trying to make, John, but by my reading, if Michael Jackson doesn't marry Lisa Marie Presley, you never become chief White House correspondent for ABC News. And, and, you know, and, and maybe Donald Trump doesn't become president. And I mean, he might so, not become president. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. Did I take um, the wrong point from what you were? I mean, that was how, that was how I read it. Maybe maybe it's on me. Maybe it's not your writing. So how, how come what what brought you, uh, Donald Trump and Michael Jackson? Although I guess it didn't sound like you actually met Michael or Lisa yeah. because they were on their honeymoon uh, in August of 1994. Well, uh, th- that that was the beginning, and that's where the book starts. Uh, you know, this was I-, I was just to bring you back in time. I was I was a young aspiring political reporter in New York City. I was working for the New York Post. Yeah, and I'd only been there for about six months, and I had worked my way already up to being like the number three guy at City Hall. You know, um, and uh, and there was a guy. There were more than three of you, though, right? What's that? There were more than three of you, though, right? Yeah. Well, if there were, then I was four. Um, So whatever it was. And, um, uh, you know, uh, Rudy Giuliani had just become uh, the the, the mayor of New York. And all I cared about was politics. And then this story breaks that Lisa Marie Presley secretly got married to Michael Jackson. You have to understand, Michael Jackson was the biggest pop star. He was at the peak of his popularity. and Lisa Repress is the daughter of Elvis. And, and, and the idea that the king of pop and the daughter of the king of rock and roll are getting married is like, I didn't care. But trust me, everybody else did. And especially, especially at the New York Post. And as a young reporter, just starting out, you need to get to the paper every day. Otherwise, you start feeling this inadequacy, right? Yes. So, so I figured, what can I do? I don't have anything to say about this, you know? I mean... Maybe if like Jerry Garcia had married like, you know, the niece of uh, Janis Joplin or something, I could have had something. But but I, uh, I I called up um, I called up the Trump organization by looking the phone number up in the, in, in the phone book and uh, and asked to talk to Donald. I remember Trump. phone books. <laughs> I asked to talk to Donald Trump and um, and I got connected to his secretary. Uh, I said, well, what do you want to talk to him about? I said, I want to do a story about why the most famous newlyweds in the entire world would want to have their honeymoon at Trump Tower. And surprise, surprise, I had never met Donald Trump. I didn't know Donald Trump, but I kind of felt like I had a little bit of a sense of what made him tick. Even then, he called me back in less than an hour and said, mm-hmm. come on up. <laughs> so that began the uh, that began it all. I've, 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 I've got this photograph uh, that you might, I mean, I can show yeah, you. No, show it. Uh, I mean, and, and, I, and I have to say one of my favorite things about the book, uh, and it was done, it, 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 I didn't even begin it until I was done, the manuscript, final edits, and they said, well, what pictures do you want to put in the book? And I was like, oh, my God, photos. And I realized I have so many incredible pictures o- over the years, some of which I took, some others took. But this photo, while he was showing me around Trump Tower and explaining to me why it was such an amazing place, Introducing me to Michael Jackson's bodyguards, showing me where Michael and Lisa Marie were staying, uh, showing me the secret tunnels that they were managed to come in and out of the building without seeing the paparazzi outside. At the end of all that, he asks you the obvious question. 
Yeah, do you want to take a picture? You want a picture with me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm like, well, I'm like a journalist, man. I mean, maybe I miss my, I mean, you know, what, what is this? I mean, I, this is like a weird thing. So uh, the photographer who I was with, his name is Francis Specker. He's, um, he was a legendary New York Post photographer. He's moved on to bigger and better things, but he took this shot. <laughs> it's a little embarrassing, but. Um, there it is. So uh, this is in. Um, Trump Tower in uh, Donald Trump's <laughs> residence up on the 68th floor. Yeah, you can see the uh, a lot of gold, a lot of marble, a crystal chandelier. That that tie, it's a black and white photo, but that tie is red, and you can see it just like the ties he wears now. It's too long. Uh, the suit's basically the same suit. It's probably a few sizes smaller than the current suit he wears, and that same look that he has on every photo that you see. But now he's taking the photos behind the resolute desk. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the beginning of the arc of this story. And to jump way to the end, right before I submitted the final manuscript, I got summoned to the Oval Office. Hmm. And, um, the pre- he, and we can talk about this later, but he, he was complaining about a story I, I, had, I had done. And uh, he's he been known to do that. Minutes with the Oval Office complaining about this rather insignificant little, we can talk about that later. But the point is, here I was, finishing this book up, not sure how I was going to end it. And I was sitting across from Donald Trump and the conversation was remarkably similar to, um, to what it was when I was with him running around with, with Lisa Marie Presley. He looked similar, um, you know, all, all, all of this stuff. And, but, but now he's the president of the United States. Yeah. And I'm thinking, I was with him back then uh, in 1994, and I had no idea. I, I could never have thought that I would have ended up a White House reporter. And then here I am. I'm, I'm, I'm a White House correspondent for ABC, and I'm the president of the White House Correspondents Association. And I've been summoned to the Oval Office to meet with the guy that was boasting about how great Trump Tower was. Now Lisa Marie Presley, and he telling me, I mean, yeah, it's not, like a. Not- I, 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 I could never have imagined that either one of us would end up where we were, but the idea that both of us is just insane. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I'm sure that that's his perspective as well. He can't believe that, that both of you made it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you outline and because look, I, I got a bunch of questions from folks, um, yeah. you know, leading up to this and you know what everyone wants to talk about. People want to talk about enemy of the people. They want to right. talk about um, attacks on democracy. They want to talk about freedom of the press. They want to talk about what is he doing and, and what are you doing to defend all of those things. And, and, and one of the devices that you used was um, you had kind of, let's say, three to five um, interviews with him before he became president. Yeah. And you kind of track the history of those. And I, I know that this was, you know, this was your point and it was, it, it was excellent, was there was something in each of those interviews historically that probably in, in retrospect became obvious to you that, wait a minute, man, there were signs, you know, the, the stuff that we see now, and you know, that there, that there were signs. And by that, I don't mean the, the um, well, you do say at one point that th- there was the first time that you saw the darker side. And I think that's, you know, I'm quoting you there. So, so let's talk about a couple of those, because then I want to fast forward to, you know, right here, right now, and, and what we have going on. So August 1994, 
it's you, uh, Donald Trump, Michael Jackson, Lisa Marie Presley. Um, I guess it's then about 20 years later, is that right? When, when in August of, of, of 2013, where you interview him in Iowa and you want to ask him, you want to go interview him in Iowa because you want to ask him about the birther yeah. question. Yeah. Yeah. And you do, but, in, in, but he gets you because, because you, had, you had a slip of the tongue. You, you didn't answer it you know, exactly. You get, and, and, and he got you, didn't he? Uh, it's, it's a, it's a crazy, it's a crazy story. This is the very first interview with Donald Trump in, of the 2016 campaign cycle. It is two years before he comes down the escalator and announces his, his campaign. And he was going to Iowa and he was going to speak before a, a group of evangelical Christians. And the idea of me of this, you know, three time divorced, um, you know, three marriages, uh, um, uh, you know, this flamboyant, you know, New York guy going to talk to some Iowa evangelicals, I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, Ted Cruz was also speaking at this event, by the way. Mm-hmm. And the leader of this event had endorsed the last two winners, Republican winners of the Iowa caucuses. Um, Santorum and Huckabee. So it was kind of a, you know, it was a, it was a big deal. What we call an early cattle call, call, but it's early. This is just, I mean, this is what, this is less than a year after the 2012. Uh, yeah, presidential August, August, 2013. Yeah. So, um, so I, you know, got asked by our Sunday show this week with George Stephanopoulos to go out and do this interview. And at first I was kind of skeptical, but then I'm like, it's August. Not much is going on. I've got this history with Trump and I had, I had other stuff besides the Michael Jackson thing, but I, 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 you know, I figured, eh, you know, why not? You know, it's not a very serious thing. And, and, and I did have the one serious part of it though, is he had, he had done this, uh, the whole thing with uh, raising questions about Obama's, uh, Barack Obama's birthplace, suggesting he was really not born in the United States, that is, uh, that he wasn't, therefore, not a legitimate president of the United States. It was racist, it was nonsense, and it was, it was terrible. And now the evangelicals are inviting him to come out and speak about, you know, potentially maybe running for president. So I figured, well, I'll go, and I'm going to hit him really hard with this. Um, he hadn't been talking about it much lately because he got kind of embarrassed. Do you remember mm. uh, in 2011 at the White House Correspondents' Dinner? And you know, finally, Barack Obama puts his long-form birth certificate out there, and it's like, okay, fine. And um, and so he kind of like goes on to other stuff. So I asked him about it. I was like, look, now that you are out here in Iowa, you know, clearly at least thinking about maybe running for president, you know, isn't it time for you to finally admit, and you know, we can, you can admit this right here that you were just wrong about that birther stuff. And, and I, I, I run through the trans, it's an, it's a remarkable transcript and the audio book, by the way, I play it out. It's like, um, it's, 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 a, it's, it's, I think it's the last time he had a serious discussion on this issue because he mm-hmm. kind of froze it out after it. Um, and he, um, you know, we go back and forth. He's like, no, no. You know, a lot of people believe I was right. You know, half the half people believe I was right. And I was like, come on. And he's like, you know, I mean, every, you know, I mean, where's the birth certificate? I was like, he put out his birth certificate. And he's like, he's like, Jonathan, you're a smart guy. You know, that's not a real birth certificate. And, and, and you can't be sure he was born in the United States. And I was like, Look, man, I'm pretty sure he was born in the United States. And he sees, you said pretty sure. You said pretty sure. 
It's like, no, I'm absolutely, totally, completely, 100% sure he was born in the United States, okay? And people yeah. think you are out to launch for, and he like stops me. He's like, no, no. And um, anyway, the interview goes on. And after the interview was over, he had one political advisor at this point, a guy named Sam Nunberg. Yep. The only guy. Um, Roger Stone wasn't, he was just, just Sam Nunberg. It was like a Roger, if you can imagine, he's basically a Roger uh, Stone protege. And he contacted me shortly after the interview was over and said, Mr. Trump wants to be sure that you are not going to edit out of the interview the part where you admitted that you were only pretty sure. <laughs> and, and, uh, and then in my first, that was the time I was the first subject of, of a Trump tweet. Before the interview ran, Trump tweeted, he didn't have as many followers back then, um, uh, just talked to ABC News, Jonathan Carl. And uh, he uh, uh, admitted he was only pretty sure bad question about Obama. And, <laughs> but it was absurd. It was totally, completely absurd. And you know, at that point, I realized that, that there was no way that we could ever possibly take him serious as a political figure, that he was going nowhere. Yeah, yeah. A long long series of uh, terrific uh, political predictions that you've made. Yeah. But the, his... His ability to pick up on your one slip, because you were prepared, as you said, you'd been thinking about the questions, you knew what you wanted to talk to him about, you know, and, and you said it, you know, I, I, I didn't hear the, the tape, I get the audio book, but saying it in that, in that way, look, look, man, I am pretty sure, and he picks yeah. up on, on yeah. that one word, so, yeah. which we've now seen, and we, yeah. we've seen the ways that that, that, that can occur. Let, let's skip ahead. So, you know, oh, and actually the best part of a, the second best part, perhaps, of that story is um, you asked him what his slogan would be if he would run for president. And that ended up on the cutting room floor, Jonathan. Yeah, he he, he had this slogan. We didn't think that would go anywhere either. He said, oh, I think I would say make America great again. You had the scoop. Um, again. So, the so scoop. I interviewed him for about 25 minutes in Iowa. And because you know, it was an interview that with a guy that we didn't think was ever really going to run, really. We, we only ran less than five minutes of it. So right. that was on the cutting room floor. It was fascinating to go through, by the way, and look at some of these old interviews and look at the parts we didn't air. We didn't air. Another part that I didn't air, I don't even, I didn't, you know, it was funny is uh, Jeff Bezos had just bought the Washington Post. And I asked him about it. And you know how Trump is going after the Washington Post and going yeah. after Bezos and the Amazon one. And I was like, what do you think of that? And he, and he went on about how that's a really smart move. And he's a, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a smart guy. He'll do a great job. I think that's great for the Washington post, you know? <laughs> and, uh, so things change. Things consistency change. is not a big, okay. uh, so yeah, well, anyhow, that, that's maybe a, a separate question. Maybe that'll come up, up in the Q and a later, but okay. So, so that interview was a bit of a tell then Christmas of 2015. I want to go through this quickly because I want to, I want to get to, to the yeah. today stuff. But um, it, it's Christmas 2015. And first, number one, he insists that there are Christmas trees or at least a Christmas tree behind him for the interview. But you you come and and so now this is, you know, he's gone down the escalator and now we're in the campaign and you say to him, look, man, I've got the latest polls and Hillary is killing you in every poll that I've seen. And he goes, 
he goes crazy. Yeah. And what, what's the right word? How, it, how was, it, was, it was it was actually it was actually a frightening uh, thing because this was in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and and I had flown out with uh, with two different camera crews. We were going to do a big interview. It was going to be the it was going to be our basically our entire Sunday show. Yeah. And just and, to be clear, every interview that you had had with him at that point had been really you, you know almost fun, right? I mean, you you're walking around you know Trump Tower in in. Uh, 1994 yeah. you you know did yeah, you know I, I mean we 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 there'd been some tension you know in various places but 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 you know he this was I, out I of the blue him, i treated him with 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 i asked hard questions but i did it in a way that treated him with respect i think he felt so he, <laughs> he sometimes got irritated but we, we had a we had a we had a relationship that was he had not really attacked me um and so but this interview I'm only three minutes into it and he starts talking about how he's the, the only Republican that can beat Hillary Clinton. And I had all of, I had this list from real clear politics of all the matchups, um, you know, hypothetical matchups of a general election and Hillary Clinton was just killing them and everything. I mean, these polls don't mean much. You're a year out and the, 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 you know, the primaries aren't over, but um, as soon as I started, as I, as, as I said that, he's like, no, it's not true. I, I, I'm beating her. And I said, well, I've got the polls here. I mean, look, and he saw the, the list in my hands and he just said, look, if you're so sure that I'm going to lose, then why do you want to talk to me? I might as well just leave. And he starts to get up, but he knows the cameras are there and he knows his mic is on. He knows all of this. So he's, he's controlled. It's not like he's storming out. He gets up. And he starts to take the mic off because he knows television better than most people on television. And he takes it, you know, the little thing that's clipped to your belt. And he's like, okay, and then, you know, goodbye. Uh, I, there's no reason for you to talk to me. And I, I continue to try to ask him questions because now I'm like worried as a reporter that I've, I've, I've spent all this money on part of ABC to go out to do this interview. And there, we have a big hole in our Sunday show. And now this guy's walking yeah, out. Got minutes. I'm like, oh my God, what, what, what? So quietly walks out goes out the door, says goodbye. And by the way, the crowd outside is so loud. You can hear it. We're backstage at the rally, the arena in Grand Rapids. You can hear them going, Trump, Trump, Trump. You hear it on the audio. And he says, you hear them? They're waiting for me. I got to go. And he hands me the mic and he goes out the door. So I'm like sitting here stunned. I put the mic down. I, and then I, I just walk out the door about a minute after he does to, to figure out what's going on. So now no cameras, no mic. No cameras. We are in a, we are outside this cinder block room, in yeah. this old yeah. hockey arena. And there's black curtains. And on the other side of the black curtains is the, is, is, is the crowd, the rally. And I look out, I look to the right. I see down the, what this kind of makeshift hallway, there's Trump. And I start to walk towards him. And he starts, and 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 my producer, who I write quite a bit about, the, the, the embedded reporter on the trip, jumps in front of me and says, don't. And I look over, and Trump is screaming at me. Um, and he's being held back by, uh, by, by his advance guy. And he's screaming at me, and he's calling me a bleeping, nasty guy. You are a bleeping, nasty guy. And, and gesticulating. And I'm just like, I'm stunned. I'm actually like, it was one of the, few times i mean i just like i was just stunned and he walked out on stage thunderous applause um and um i 
waited backstage, like flipping out. Like, I didn't know what was going to happen. Um, and uh, he immediately starts attacking ABC News uh, in this speech. Interestingly, he didn't attack me by name. He attacked George Stephanopoulos. Big Clinton lover. He's terrible. And, he, you know, and he did an interview with me the other day. And it was a terrible interview. And actually, it was a great interview. Did you guys see it? I mean, he like says the same, you know, yeah. the same sentence to yeah. opposite things. And, and he, um, he says, and I was just interviewed by another ABC News Clinton lover back here. Terrible, terrible. These are terrible people. And then he goes into his screed against the press. And it's much darker than I had heard it before. He, he talks about Putin. And I put the quotes in there because people it did get, it didn't get noticed at the time because there's so much weird stuff going on. But he talks about how Putin, you know, they say he kills journalists. And he's like, no, I think that's bad. I mean, I, you know, I think they're terrible, horrible people and I hate them, but I don't think you should kill them. And then he looks out to the pen where the journalists are in the back. He's like, well, no, wait, wait, uh, making a joke about whether he'd want to kill a few of the people back there. And like people start eating it up, you know, applauding. And he's like, no, 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 I really don't want to kill them. We don't want to kill them, but they're terrible. And Anyway, long and the short of it is the the uh, the, inter- the the speech goes on. Corey Lewandowski, who was his press, who was his campaign manager at the time, you know, comes back to scream about what's going on. And I just say, look, you should tell him to come back and finish the interview because right now all I'm going to show is you know is him leaving. There's nothing here. I'm going to come back and finish the interview. Um, so the interview ends. I mean, the, the the event ends, and Trump does come back. And after walking away, after screaming at you. And he comes back. Yeah, he comes back. And I'm like, I'm I'm still shaken. I finished the interview. uh, And when the interview's over, he does what he did in 1994. You want to take a picture? I mean, I'm like, the last thing I want to do in my life right now is get a picture taken with you. Um, But I did it. Hang on. I got it over here. Okay. Just, just you come back man because if if people have to just look at your empty chair and me we're going to lose viewers. It's, it's going to be a problem no i got i'm going to show you this because oh, you're back i thought you yeah, were so, so, off. So, i thought so, you were done no no were, i'm walking out on you that's what i'm doing i thought you were yeah. pulling a trump yeah you're going to start screaming <laughs> there's the christmas tree there i am looking yeah. like i would really just rather you know be just about anywhere else in the world and he has the same grin that he had in that 1994 shot Wow. I, you know, anyway, so I, th- th- that was, that was what I, I saw is where, and I track it in the book after that moment, it wasn't just me. He really, there was something darker about the way he was talking about the press and it almost seemed like an incitement to violence. Um, and he hadn't, he didn't use the enemy of the people phrase until he became president, but that was the way you know, it was, it was more than just a, you know, good nature complaining about, about press coverage. This was something darker. So let's talk about I'm an enemy of the people. Because on page 144, you highlight how throughout history, there have, these have not been words to take lightly. You write about Robespierre in 1793 to lead public executions and leading to the 1794 law, eliminating all sentences except acquittal or death. 
That was the phrase used, enemy of the people. In, in the actual law, it, it says enemy of the people, enemies of the people. Yep. This was the reign of terror. This was, this was the language used in the reign of terror to, to justify the, the beheadings of anybody uh, that, that was seen insufficiently revolutionary. Yep, you, you outline that. You note Nazi party in August 1934, and you note later used by Stalin. Why does he do it? Well, what, I, what, I, what confuses me about it is maybe he liked the phrase when he heard it. He's not a huge student of history, right? Let's say, let's be honest. So, but as soon as he used it, this was pointed out and he knew. So why does he continue to use it? And when I met with him in September of last year at the meeting where I was describing being across from the Oval Office and he's complaining about some news copies, some stories, I brought it up. I, I said to him that, um, and, and by the way, the context here is this was not long after the shootings in El Paso and Dayton. Hmm. And I said, when you use, when, when you talk about the press as being enemies of the people and, and the other, those aren't the only attacks he used. That's not the only attack, but you know, vicious, horrible, disgusting people out to ruin our country. You know, I mean, all the stuff he has said. I said, you, 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 may incite, you may incite somebody who is unstable to take your words to heart and, and hurt people. And his answer was so unsatisfying. He said, well, I hope people do take my words to heart because I really mean it. I really believe the press is like out there. And it's like, no, I, I mean, I'm talking to you. It was just just less than a it was less than two weeks after after the mass shootings in El Paso and, and Dayton. Well, I do hope people take my words to heart. And we'd already had you know one crazy guy send pipe bombs that fortunately were not good yeah, to, uh, to, to CNN. So you don't have an answer. I mean, do, well, do you feel like you ever haven't you know that you ever got an answer? Do you have an understanding? I mean, what why? Uh, did I, I I think because I think I don't. I think the reason why he makes these attacks the way he does on the press, I think there are two, maybe three reasons. Uh, the first, he was quite candid about uh, with Leslie Stahl in 2016. He said, you know, I attack you so that when, uh, you know, she asked, why do you do this? You know, you don't really believe it. It's like, well, I do it uh, so that when you do a negative story about me, people won't believe it. So that's one reason. Uh, it's a huge applause line. Uh with his supporters uh, for whatever reason, it's more, it's a bigger applause line than attacking the Democrats often to attack the press. So he, so he gets something out of it. He also, I think he thinks he sees all of this as basically a kind of a reality TV show. I mean, it's like a really high end route. I mean, it's like the greatest reality TV show ever. Um, and he's a big fan of WWE um, and, you know, any good wrestling professional wrestling match, you know, needs a good heel. And he just thinks that the press is a good is a good you know is a good one to attack. I don't think he means this stuff. I mean, he spends more time watching news on television, or and and, and reading papers. He does read newspapers. He does read the New York Times, by the way, religiously. I mean, I'm not saying he's a cover to cover guy, but he gets that he gets the Times every morning, and um, he consumes more news than anybody I have ever seen in public life. I mean. He consumes more news than I do. I mean, he he told me once that TiVo, you know, the first uh, real um, uh, DVR, was the greatest invention in the history of mankind. You know, he gets to now he can watch 
CNN, MSNBC, and Fox. You know, he can get his dose of love from Fox. He can hate watch CNN and do whatever he does with MSNBC. I mean, that's that's, that's what he does. And and believe me, he watches my stuff. This is why he called me in. The story he was complaining about was a story that ran on Labor Day about 12 minutes into the World News Tonight broadcast. It was not a big story. I'm like, you're president of the United States. Yeah. So the other phrase beyond enemy of the people is the one, and I think you say that uh, Steve Bannon is the one who told it to him, that uh, the media, the the opposition party. And you spend a lot of time making clear that in the book that you really believe that the media, you cannot take the bait. You can't become the opposition party. And you call out, you know, maybe, and maybe it's been taken well, I'm curious if it's been taken more strongly than you intended it to be. But the, the name that you name is Jim Acosta. Yeah. And, and, you know, Daily Beast wrote the headline, Trump is eroding truth and CNN's Jim Acosta plays into his hands, says ABC's John Carl. Mm-hmm. Um, National Review wrote a piece just the other day. You, you saw that. And the key moment for you, it seems, um, you write about Acosta twice, um, once kind of early on when you're, when you're describing what it would look like if someone were acting like the opposition to the press. And then later on, um, it's on 251, when, um, and we all kind of remember it, when, when Jim Acosta was really kind of taking it up with Sarah Sanders um, about the enemy of the people. We're not the enemy of the people. And I think that was the time he ended up getting his press uh, credential. I think that was the time he ended up getting his press credential taken away. But my point is, but he was, he wanted to, protest. So whether I have that right about that being when he got his credential taken away, the point is he wanted to protest and your counterpoint is, come on, man, we're the, we are are here to report. We are not here to protest our treatment. So, so tell me what, why was he wrong? Why why was he wrong to stand up for um, let's just say journalist rights? So, so let, let me let me preface this by saying that um, I've known Jim Acosta for a long time. Uh, I, I think he's a good reporter. Um, I, I I consider him a friend. I, I think that he has gone through hell um, with the way he has been uh, turned into a villain by the uh, uh, by those that support the president. Um, a lot of us have gotten death threats and hate mail and everything else. And he's gotten them, you know, he's gotten lots. Um, and, and, and I do think that it's been overplayed. Um, I, I, I made a point in this book to try to be as honest about everything as I could, including about myself. I mean, I acknowledge places where I think I made a mistake or where I went too far or where I failed. Um, so what I wrote about Jim does not, does not should not be taken to mean that I, I do not think that he is a fine reporter and that he isn't dedicated to the exact same thing I am, which is a pursuit of truth. Uh, that, 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 that's what drives any good journalist. So the incident that I talked about was one where I can understand his, his anger and his frustration. He, it was not the one where he was at his credential taken away, but I, I can, I can mention that, but this was, um, uh, the enemy of the people phrase, uh, which shocked a lot of us. Um, he, um, it, it, Ivanka Trump had done an interview with, with Mike Allen and, and Mike asked, do you think the press is the enemy of the people? And Ivanka said, no, I don't. Almost like, why would you ask me that? Of course not. And so at this 
brief briefing, Sarah Sanders, another reporter, not Jim, another reporter said, well, do you agree with, um, with Ivanka or, or basically do you agree with Ivanka or your boss? And Sarah Sanders refused to follow Ivanka's footsteps and to say that she did not think the press was the enemy of the people. She said the president's right to be frustrated and, and she would not distance herself from that phrase. And that, that, that infuriated Jim. I mean, it infuriated everybody, but it really infuriated uh, Jim to take issue with her and get into a real public sparring. He pushed it, yeah. 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 Um, And and he ended up doing that and he ended up walking out in the briefing, although I I didn't even notice that that, that he had left uh, because his questions were over, you know, and and some people leave the briefings early to go out and do, you know, go on television or whatever. Um, But but after it was over, he came back into the briefing room and he said that journalists should – uh, should should print bumper stickers and signs and and should go out into Lafayette Park and say we are not the enemy of the people and 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 should protest the president for vilifying us in this way. And my point was, and again, this is a this is a, an honest debate that I can have with 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 a fellow White House correspondent. I am not I am not saying that he's the guy that's like you know uh, eroding truth in the country or whatever the headline says. But I I. I is, is that I think that we need to not take the bait that, 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 that Steve Bannon had, had coined this phrase, the press is the opposition party, that the president had, had adopted that phrase uh, uh, himself, and that we cannot act in a way where people can say, you see, they are the opposition party. And I'm not saying Jim is the opposition. He's not. He's a reporter. Um, but by saying, let's go out and protest, we're not here to protest the president. We're here to ask the president questions, to report on his administration, uh, to hold him and his staff to account, not to protest him. So that was what I was saying uh, about but, but does there, but, but does there come a point in, in some ways, it's strange. I mean, just yesterday, um, you you kind of did push back. You said- you know, no, no, you're exactly right. And, and, okay, you know, but, but, but and so, so you did- because what I found myself thinking about, because I, I hear you on that point about it's not the role and, and we can't take the bait. And because then that becomes the story. It just becomes a proof point. And in today's, you know, social media, you know, hear your own, you know, being in, in your own zone, getting it, it would it would take over. You write about Cecilia Vega and Karen Travers and yeah. April Ryan, who, you know, according to, you know, asked a racist question, according to the president and Abby Phillips who asked a stupid question. According and Yamiche Alcindor. And Yamiche Alcindor, who we all know, and we know what she's... And he, he, when he singles out individuals, when he singles out women, when he singles out minority reporters, um, when he singles out someone like you and says, you're a third-rate reporter, and I'm sure that you would feel that that doesn't bother you at all, and that's nothing compared to what he has said towards the other people whom I just mentioned. Yeah. Um, w- when the president goes after people like that, isn't it right to stand up? Yeah, it, it is. And, and I, and I do, you know, what, what I say is we are not the opposition party. We are not part of the resistance. We were, but, but we will oppose and we will re- resist and we should when the president calls real news, fake news, when he calls, uh, the uh, a free press, which is the cornerstone of our democracy, uh, enemy of the people. We need to, and when he and when he says things that are not true, we need to correct the record. So yes, it's a, it, it's a question of degree. It's a question of how you do it. 
And, you know, my goal is to, is to try to report aggressively and report in a way that even people who love the president think he's the greatest president since, since Washington uh, will, will, will think that I am, I am treating him fairly. Now that, that is a, that is a standard that you cannot meet uh, many times. <laughs> um, but that is my goal. And I tried to write this book, in fact, in a way that I kept my personal views to, to you know, out of it for the most part. As you know, in the conclusion of this book, I get I, I very strongly uh, take issue with the president's what I call his war on the truth, yeah, uh, and the way that he has undermined the notion of truth in our country and why I think it's dangerous. So I, you know, I mean, I, I felt I needed to take a stand. I took a stand in my zone, which is, you know, truth and reporting and, and the importance of a free press. And, and uh, I want to I want to ask you about the yeah, end. Yeah. Um, actually tying it as well to the way that you begin and the the sentiment that you have clearly for the inauguration and the peaceful transfer of power and the centrality that that plays in our democracy. I mean, that is just, that is the the heart of our democracy, the fact that we transition peacefully. And, and you can tell, one can tell reading your book, both the beginning and the end, um, how much that means to you. I, I want to ask you about that. Um, Pamela, if we can start to get ready with some questions, because I'm mindful of time. I want to get a couple of questions in um, from the audience to, to John. Quickly, please, just to, to put a, a close on the previous part, the previous conversation we were just having. Was yesterday a turning point for you? I mean, yesterday you said something. Yesterday you said yeah, it, 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 you know, you know, in, 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 in a, I don't know if it was a turning point, but it was, it was a departure. Um, so for anyone who, who doesn't, didn't see it, yeah. he, he was saying, it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter what I say on the ventilators, how many I have, I could have 10 times 350 or something like this. He said, it wouldn't matter. You would he see said, it. I testing. He's like, I could, I could have a t- test for all 350 million people in yeah. America. I give everybody 10 tests, everybody in America, 10 tests. And the fake news would say, ah, no good. He didn't do 11. And I just, I blurted out. I was sitting in the front row and I blurted out. That's not true, Mr. President. That's not true, Mr. President. Um, and he shot back at me. And this is not the position you want to be in. Um, but I felt like it's like enough. He's been using these briefings to undermine, a free, you know, the quality news organizations, reporters, and the idea of a free press. And, uh, you know, to say that, as a reporter, I or anybody else in that room would think it would be a bad thing that everybody in America could easily have ex- access to a to a coronavirus test, which, by the way, he said we all would. Um, Anyone uh, who wants one, you know, uh, is it is an outrageous slander and it's wrong, and it just needs to be. And, and I so I blurred. Was that calculated on your part, or was it no, spontaneous? No, it was it was spontaneous. I mean, I, you know. Um, I, I kind of, I mean, I was in a similar position today. Uh, he, he goes after Phil Rucker. Um, and, uh, I don't even remember exactly what I said because it was, it was all in the, in the heat of the briefing and he's and Phil Rucker is a reporter for the Washington Post. He's a, he's a great reporter. He's a conscientious guy. He, in his core, he, 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 he believes in fairness and objectivity. He is not, he is not somebody that's like out to get anybody. He's, he's out to get the truth. 
Yeah. And, uh, and he started just slamming them. And I said, what, I, I, you know, something like, why do you do that? Why, 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 why? And, and, you know, I mean, it doesn't, doesn't really might be satisfying, I guess, but it doesn't, doesn't really get you anywhere, but it, but it is the, the, the briefings have been, um, have been, have been frustrating. Pamela, do we have a question for John? Uh, Roger, would you like to um, join Chris and John for your question? Please unmute. I wanted to ask specifically about the president's, you know, seems to be his uh, uh, neurosis. He constantly wants to call reporters names. We know that uh, he has uh, called cutie pie here. Uh, he's, he says, you're, you're absolute nothing. Um, how how do you stand and with and with uh withhold this stuff? You know, I mean, how do you keep it in and and not lash out? I mean, it it, it every reporter it seems in that briefing room has been called something by the president. It's um, you know, to, to me that's actually actually the easier part is when he's just attacking me. You know, I, I, probably because I've 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 been I've heard so many of them over the years, and I've also heard him be really complimentary of me. I mean, he's, 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 he's praised me in public and in, and in, and, and in private as well. Um, so when, when he comes out and he says, you're a third rate reporter and you're never, and then he added, you're never going to make it. I just kind of like, I actually thought it was kind of funny. <laughs> you know, I mean, the thing that more, the more uh, annoyed me was that he wasn't answering my question, which was, um, in, 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 in that case was, was a question about, uh, about, uh, an HHS inspector general study about, uh, about the lack of testing. Uh, it was a very important question and he was turning it into some other little, 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 you know, little, little way to attack me and to distract from the attention. So I, you know, the, 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 the attacks, I mean, that's fine. Uh, it, what's annoying is not getting the question answered. Do the other reporters feel the same way? Um, I, I think it, it varies. I mean, I think it hurts, uh, especially if you, you know, if you're newer, I mean, I, I'll tell you one reporter, I, I write about this in the book that I, I was really, really impressed with, uh, was Abby Phillip. And I knew Ab, Abby's with CNN and Abby, uh, actually uh, worked at ABC, um, for a while, not as an on-camera reporter, but, but, um, as a kind of writer producer and, uh, and she was wonderful. I always, I was, I, you know, thought she was super talented and, um, and, 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 and just, just, a, just a really good person. She ended up, uh, getting hired by CNN put right away on air as a white house correspondent. And she hadn't been on the job all that long. And she asked Trump a question right after the 2018 midterms. And she was actually following up on a question that I had asked, um, uh, it was out during one of those helicopter departures and I was so psyched. Somebody was falling because Trump ignored me and she like picked it up. And that's what you want, you know, your fellow reporters to do. And sure. she, she, uh, he, he turned to her and said, that's a stupid question. There's photos of the event. Cause he's right. He's right in her face, in his finger. That's a stupid question. Stupid question. You ask stupid questions. all the time. And she wasn't phased and she was asked about it afterwards. And, uh, and her answer was, was great. It was like, look, it doesn't matter. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't take it personally. It's like, who cares what he says to me? I just, you know, I think the questions need to be answered. And, and she was, it was like a textbook example of how, you know, not to take the bait, not to make yourself the story. And, uh, and, you know, I'm sure it bothered her. It had to bother her. 
um, but she didn't allow it to affect her, her job. John, one thank of the you. questions that, thank you. Thanks for uh, joining with that. One of the questions uh, that, that's been typed in is something that I've heard a lot. If the briefings are frustrating, then why do you continue to attend them? Well, because it's our job. Uh, you know, I, I asked me today, I got an email from somebody after today's briefing. Why don't all you guys stand up and walk out? Well, first of all, because some of us would probably get fired. So that would be a bad thing. Um, but but secondly, he's the president of the United States. And, and, and also, although it's become more and more just the Trump show, it used to be, you know, in the early earlier briefings, he had you know, the experts there, we heard a lot more from Fauci and from Pence and from Burks and from uh, FEMA and from, you know, some of the other experts. And now, if you notice, it's more like, you know, 90 percent, 80 percent, 90 percent the president. Um, but I, I, I think it's important to, uh, to to put questions to him and to and to have a chance to a- ask questions of, of, of the experts. Now, that is, Chris, that is a very different question from should you uh, carry them live on the networks? And the broadcast networks have largely stopped carrying these live. Um, Although we do all have digital channels and you can see them all on those digital channels. And the cable networks, Fox carries them gavel to gavel. Um, And the, you know, and the others are carrying most of them. CNN has stopped carrying them in totality. Uh, And I think you can have a healthy debate over whether or not they should be carried live. Um, Although in this media age it somewhat matters less because people can watch you know you, you can watch it on twitter we, we could have a separate discussion on that I've, i think uh i think there are some things that uh so you know that, that the cable networks could be doing in real time while also covering the event i mean there's such a thing you know the press briefing there's such a thing as a uh split screen and the ability to uh fact check on the fly you know, is perhaps something that, uh, you know, part of, part of the job. Um, I, I want to close out um, by talking about probably the two most important things for me uh, that you wrote about, um, trust and democracy. <clears throat> and we talked about it a moment ago. I mean, you write about, um, at the very end, uh, you write about your stepfather, uh, Howard Schaff. You write about your father, Wayne Carl. Um, you lost both of them right before this book, I guess. Yeah. You write about your mother and you write about your wife and your daughters, Maria, Emily, and Anna, at least one of whom, maybe two of whom might be going into journalism, it sounds like. And you write at the end, our democracy is built on trust. That's why I fear President Trump's war on truth may do lasting damage to American democracy. If that's your fear, as an American, not just as a journalist, and with that family behind you, what's your responsibility? Well, I think that my responsibility is to protect what, to do my part, small part, uh, but my part in protecting what I think is a pillar of that democracy, and that is a, a free and independent press. It doesn't mean to get out there and oppose a president who I think is threatening that. I think that would that would actually undermine my goal. It would it would it would have the the, the press turn into a partisan player, which I think it, I think would be ruinous. Um, so it's a deeply challenging and the the, the you know Rogers question about uh, you know about the personal insults or the you know uh, the, the what I write there. I mean, you you want to kind of stand up and 
and, 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 and lead a protest sometimes. And you want to, you want to make a statement, but um, I, I believe that I have to do it to the best of my ability, my job to, uh, to report aggressively on, on, on this administration and into the campaign to report, report aggressively on Joe Biden as well. And to, uh, to the best of my ability to be, you know, I'm not, you know, I, I'm going to say even-handed. For some reason, in some quarters, the, 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 there's this term that's used as an insult called both sidesism. I'm not saying both sidesism, whatever that is. I'm not saying that everything is equal. Well, you know, the president says, you know, it's daytime, but the clock tells me it's night. I know. I mean, I, I mean, I know we, we can say what facts are. But, but um, if you if you worry <clears throat> that the war on truth may be doing lasting damage to American democracy, yeah. You worry. The question is a quoting, you know, you write the question. These were, these are the questions. I mean, I'm, this stuff, you know, it struck me when I, when I read it, the question is whether America will ever be the same again. I mean, yeah. I read the part of your book when you talked about moving out to South Dakota, you know, with your stepfather and your mother and, you know, they're writing the book about the, you know, the, the, the architect or the, of uh, architect might not be the right word, of Mount Rushmore. I mean, you know, and look, I, I've, you know, I have, I met you many, many years ago, but I, I've known, I mean, this stuff you care about. Yeah. And, yeah. and so if that's what you're worried, yes, it, it, it's not both sides And if, if your core concern is the lasting damage it might be doing to American democracy, I guess I just come back. What, you know, what, what, what should you, are you doing? What you, you know, do you think about that? How do you think about that? And do you worry about it? You know, I, I, and I do, and 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 part of what is happening there is it's not solely the president in terms of attacking the news media or saying so many things are not true. It's not. That's just that's one part of it. He has also managed to make some of his opponents act like him uh, as well, and he, and some in the news media to 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 take on some of those characteristics, and it's like he's. He's provided this lesson that the truth doesn't matter. Look where I got. I'm in the White House. Um, I can, you know, attack the messenger. I can, you know, tell you that up is down and enough people are going to believe me. And uh, I can undermine anybody who is, who, is, who is critical in a way that, you know, people won't believe anything they say, even if it's true. Um, so it's, it's some of those characteristics I see represented elsewhere. Um, and and I think it's you know, I think it's contagious. There's a contagion, you know, uh, it's, it and it's and it's 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 insidious. It and- again, I you know, I think I think what you're asking me is what you're kenning up to is if I think that it, it, it what he has done is represent that threat you know isn't it kind of my responsibility to try to like take him down or something and, and no that- i would take him down as no just just what is what is your responsibility yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but no but i i i think it's like you know i mean a, a lot of people like mike mccurry said to me uh yesterday you know it's war now it's war between him and you guys and a lot of people think that i don't i think that that if if, if we play into that then we have become you know, we've become opposition party and, and it's devastating and we'll do as much damage to the institutions that we love uh, as anything uh, that, that, that he may do. So I'm going to do my damnedest to treat him and his administration fair and exactly 
as I would anybody else. And now, now, now they're going to, when they're saying lots of things that aren't true, I'm calling that out. Maybe others, I mean, so I'm not, again, it's not both sidesism. I'm not saying that he's the same as his predecessor. He's not, but in terms of what the kind of animating, you know, the, 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 what animates my work and, and our work, it, it's gotta be, you know, it's gotta be to try to treat somebody fair, even if he's completely unfair to you. And even when he's busy calling you a third rate reporter, um, which, uh, which you are not. John, thank you. Thanks for taking the time. It's a great read. The stories are great, but you infuse in it not only those historical interviews that you had with him and, and bring them out of me, but your, your thoughtfulness around democracy and truth and trust and the positive, you know, we don't want to give away the end, but the positive feelings you, you get and you write about from the charter of the White House Correspondence Association, um, th- there's a, a hopefulness. And, um, you know, it, as far as I could tell uh, in your professional life, post, I think this is the only thing you've ever done is be a journal, I think. And, and that's, I don't mean that negative. I mean, like, this is who you are. And oh, that- yes, it's, it, it, it's, it's who I am to, to, to the core. Uh, Chris, thank you for doing this, and, and thank you to uh, uh, to Cornell uh, and and you know for for hosting this. And I also think it's really cool that you uh, partnered with uh, an independent bookstore because uh, independent bookstores are 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 national treasures in our country, and they they were struggling before this crisis uh, hit. And now it's it's just devastating, and and I, I I've been encouraging in every way I can people uh, to to you know to go out and I, I want people to buy this book and read it and write back to me about it, but uh, but I think it's great to uh, you know to 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 seek out an, an independent bookstore and, and and get it there. Thank you. Yep. Thank you to Word Bookstore. Everyone will get a link to that. Uh, thank you to Political Wire. Uh, thank you to uh, Cornell, uh, to Steve Israel uh, and Cornell and John. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, thanks for making the time. Take care. That was my conversation with Jonathan Carl. My thanks to Cornell's Institute of Politics and Global Affairs for sponsoring the conversation and you for listening. Quick reminders, if you liked this conversation, please give it the five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And don't forget to sign up for my newsletter at chrisreback.com. That's all for today. I'll talk with you soon.